All right, I'm going to take you to John 7 in just a minute. And, um, uh, uh, but first, if you will, around your table, okay, talk about, this is interesting because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address this in a little bit. I'm not going to address it at the beginning. But um, do you have any trouble at all obeying posted traffic laws uh, when you drive in Oklahoma? If so, which ones are the hardest ones for you to obey? Uh, and if not these, okay, which laws do you have a tendency to want to bend? In other words, are you a uh, are you a habitual jaywalker or, or you know whatever it is? But uh, all right, talk about that around your table. I'm curious how this is going to come out. Okay, so what are the laws that it, you have a tendency to want to just kind of uh, skirt a little bit? All right, start right there. Okay, I'll give you a few minutes. I really can't wait to hear some of this. Uh, are you the one that's a habitual jaywalker? Or is it, um, what is it? What is it that you have trouble obeying that's the law? Miriam, I can't wait to hear. I speed. Do you, you don't speed. <laughs> Andretti. Miriam Andretti. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Mark, you don't have any trouble with this, do you? When you're driving to St. Louis, you put it on 70 and you stay right there, right? Yeah. In Missouri, that's a wise thing. They'll get you in Missouri. It's 80 in parts of Oklahoma. Yeah, it's true. hit the border and it's 70. I got a pretty pricey ticket one time. Got had that had figured that out, but too late. You know, I went right over the Missouri border and they got me. And uh, but uh, yeah, um, Ellie, you don't have any trouble obeying the law? Well, I obey the law. Uh, I said they're mostly suggestions. <laughs> they're suggestions. Posted suggestions. Anybody got something besides uh, traffic laws that you, it's like, I don't like doing this and I'm not going to do it. Paying your taxes. I was waiting for somebody to say that. Thanks. Yeah. Sherman. Oh, do what? It's kind of a loose thing going on out there. Sherman. You don't walk him on a leash. Is that a requirement in Oklahoma City? I guess it probably is. Isn't it? Okay. I have, I have, I have a uh, some neighbor. Well, no, I, I would think they could get away from you anyway. But um, uh, I have a neighbor who, uh, if you know who they are, just kind of write their name down. And let me know. But um, their dog uh, continually uses my yard as a restroom, and. Um, and that's illegal too, I think, Sherman. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, well, that was gross enough to get us started, wasn't it? So we're going to talk today for a little bit from John seven. I, one of the things I wanted to begin with, and I'm going to give you a little background. But one of the things I want to begin with is this thought, and challenge me if you will, but you're going to lose. Okay, that the words in red. In your Bible, we'll be at John 7 in just a minute, were spoken by the smartest man who ever walked the planet. Okay? He knew about it backwards and forwards before anybody knew about it, whatever it is. 
And so he's going to school the experts today. And uh, I kind of love watching that. But, you know, we've been in this series where we're talking about how the law kind of falls short some places. Uh, if you don't interpret it correctly, if you don't follow it correctly, and Jesus is going to take them on on that. So there are, as you know, there are four gospels, uh, four biographies, if you will, of Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And um, uh, they're all somewhat similar, but certainly the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are um, very similar in their general structure, while John is quite different from the other three. John wrote 30 years or so after the other three. He had them at his disposal to look at. He was well acquainted with their material. But um, he seems to avoid repeating what he knew, what he'd already read about Matthew's account, Mark's account, Luke's account. He, he, didn't, he really takes off on kind of a different tack. And that's, that's really good. About 90%, I read this this week, so prove me wrong on this, but about 90% of John's material is not found in the other three Gospels. And that's helpful to you and me, I think. Gives us a different perspective. He tells, sometimes tells uh, different stories. For instance, um, um, the way all four of the writers choose to begin their Gospel. So Mark begins right with the ministry of John the Baptist, uh, if I have helped somebody to uh, come across the line of faith and believing in Jesus, I'll say, why don't you read the Gospel of Mark? It's going to tell you the whole Gospel in 16 chapters, but it's going to skip, it's going to skip uh, uh, the genealogies, it's going to skip the Christmas story, etc. Um, Luke begins with the birth of John the Baptist and includes the nativity story. So you can get most of the nativity story in the Gospel of Luke, certainly in chapter 1 and 2. Uh, Matthew begins with a, with a long, uh, kind of extensive genealogy of Jesus, and he pushes the story of Jesus uh, all the way back to the time of King David. He, he kind of ties it back to the time of King David, because that was important. But John, by, um, uh, by comparison, um, pushes the story all the way back and connects it to the beginning of creation. Uh, you can, the first 18 verses or so of the Gospel of John, some people actually call technically second Genesis because it talks about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we get all of that. Uh, he goes back and we get to look kind of at the entire sweep of human history, and he ties Jesus into that. So, let's go there. We're going to go to chapter 7. I'm going to give you some more background, but um, I, want, I want to kind of tease you with the thought that as Steve Blair begins to read for us, starting with verse 14 in a minute, um, today uh, we're going to deal with a couple of questions as he dealt with them on, uh, um, about Jesus. First of all, where did his authority, his teaching come from? And second, um, was he a Sabbath law breaker? Okay. Where did his teaching come from? Because it was different. And was he, uh, you got it right, Dan. And was he, in fact, 
a Sabbath lawbreaker, as he was constantly accused of being. And we'll look at that kind of in context, too. Steve, if you'll pick it up, go to chapter uh, 7 and read 14 down through 18. Not until halfway through the feast did Jesus go up to the temple court and begin to teach. The Jews were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having studied? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent me. If anyone chooses to do God's will, he will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. He who speaks on his own does so to gain honor for himself. But he who works for the honor of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Okay. Now the feast they're talking about that Jesus is going up to is the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. We'll talk about that in a minute, what that means. By the way, when I got to Michigan a couple of weeks ago, we entered into the middle of the Feast of Booths. When I got there, there were tents set up in the side yard. And the kids were all sleeping outside for a couple of days. I did not, okay? I didn't sleep outside, but they did. It was cool and nice there. And um, we actually got up one morning and had pancakes around a bonfire, which was great fun. But so we were, that's kind of the idea. We'll look at that in just a minute. Now, so he's talking about going up to Jerusalem on the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Weeks. All right. Now, what my question, where I want to begin with this, because you've got to be careful with this. Did Jesus lie about going up to Jerusalem? So here it says that he went, beginning of verse 14, where, where, uh, uh, where uh, Steve read. But I want you to look at verse 1, same chapter, 7-1. After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. <clears throat> so he says to them, I'm not going to the feast. Look at verse 9. Having said to these, these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. Basically, he's saying, and we'll look at another version, another uh, time when he says, it. my time has not yet come. I'm not going. And, and what we've got to pick up on, I think here, is um, uh, he wasn't going to go with them at the beginning of it. His plan was, where his time was is he was going to slip in the middle of the celebration when the time was absolutely right. Now, this feast took place, interestingly, think about it, it took place about now, in the middle of September and October. It was uh, kind of a harvest feast, and um, um, it, so therefore it was a time of thanksgiving for a, a good harvest. But there was another reason that they celebrated it. This feast, and another reason, certainly the reason, they celebrated in the way that they did. Uh, they, um, they were required to either, in your backyard, if you had one, or somewhere outside of town, you set up an arbor or a tent or uh, some kind of a booth that you lived in, ate your meals in probably, uh, Rhonda, for you and me, we would uh, do our morning reading time out there. You may not sleep out there, but you do all of the kind of daily activities in this booth or tent or tabernacle. Now, as you think about that, what would that be to reenact? They lived in tents. 
for 40 years in the wilderness. So this was a memory point for them. Remember, God brought you out of Egypt. Remember that for 40 years, your forefathers kind of made laps around Mount Sinai, and they lived outside that whole time. So then what an interesting thing for them to do that once a year, they're required to do this thing, and as they feasted, to do, um, to do this outside. Now, I want you to look at verse 8 before we go on. Interestingly, you know, when Jesus is dealing with this, uh, his, his family, his, his physical family comes to him and says, hey, you need to go in there and, and proclaim yourself. He says, I'm not going to do it. My time is not yet here, verse 6, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. Having said these things to them, verse 9, we read a bit ago, he stayed in Galilee. So he stayed there. But he waited till the feast began, and then he kind of slips into Jerusalem, which I, I, I kind of like the way this sets up, uh, in, intriguingly, more or less. Okay, look at verse 15. So, in verse 15, so, by the way, let me fill in your, sorry, because you're going to get nervous that I didn't fill in your blank. The animosity of the religious leaders was the reason Jesus delayed his arrival. He says it here a couple of times. Um, he didn't lie to his family, didn't lie to the others about, I'm going later. Uh, he, he didn't tell them he's going later. He just said, I'm not going when you're going. And part of that was because they really were seeking to put him to death. That was negative influence if you look at verse 15. Their opinion of him was negatively influenced uh, by a couple of things. All right? And we, we need kind of unpack those a little bit here. All right, let me put it this way. Rhonda, we had a discussion earlier today that you don't know I was going to use in, but you brought it up. So when you watch uh, OU's improved defense, it makes some sense because Brent Venables was an outstanding linebacker under Bill Snyder at Kansas State, right? Um, he played defense. He, he got it, right? Um, when you, if, if you're wearing orange today, Cliff, I'm looking for you back there. If you're wearing orange today, or black, okay, um, you realize that the coach in Stillwater was an outstanding, uh, one of the best quarterbacks of OSU's history. Am, am I kind of right? Did he play under Pat Jones, or who did he play under? Pat Jones. I kind of thought so. Who was a, a great coach. I mean, all right, so you kind of get that. But then I'll be watching, probably later today, I'll be watching the show where there's a guy that will come on there talking about what an NFL quarterback ought to do. And he was a terrible quarterback. He played 30 minutes in the NFL as an NFL quarterback. But he's wanting to tell all these other quarterbacks now what to do. And I'm saying, why don't you just shut up, will you? Okay, I'm not going to tell you the guy's name, but he played at Texas. So, okay. Anyway, anyway, um, so what the, the first concern that they have here, uh, interestingly, is, is this idea that Jesus is not a trained rabbi. And I kind of want to say, I'm kind of happy about that. If 
the rabbis were reaching the wrong conclusion, right? But, but one of the things they're saying here is, um, is this guy, he has no schooling. He didn't attend the rabbinical schools that, that you were supposed to attend if you're a rabbi, right? Um, um, uh, and yet, interestingly, he spoke fluent Aramaic, Hebrew, and Greek, okay? Come on, all right? But he wasn't trained the way I was trained. So why are you listening to this guy? It's kind of uh, part of their problem. Um, um, he, was a, he should be a carpenter, not a teacher. And by the way, guess where he's from? And literally when they said that, they would say it that way. Guess where he's from? Okay, so I want you to look two places in the same chapter. Somebody, uh, Cindy, can I get you to read verse 41 and then go down to 52? Others said he is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. He was from the wrong zip code. It just was. He's from where? Wait a minute. He has no official training. And he came from Galilee, from the north. Anybody knows that if you're anybody, you came from Judea. Maybe Bethlehem, maybe. Oh, by the way, they didn't know that story, did they? Okay, so he was not a trained rabbi, and he was from Galilee. So that put his teaching in question. Yeah, Sherman. Steve, briefly, why were the Galileans so... Blue collar. It was blue collar. It was, um, they were close enough to uh, Gentile uh, areas that they were also influenced by Gentile thought, by, by Greek thought. So they were a little more liberal up in there. Um, it, in the south, around Jerusalem, everybody kind of pressed the party line. But in the north, it was like, no, there's a lot more questioning going on up there. But I, I think it, just simply that's part of it. It was just looked down upon because of literally the zip code, where they're from. Okay, so look at verse 16 and 17. So Jesus addresses their doubts. All right, um, I'm going to read it to you again just so we've got it hanging, hanging out here. So Jesus answered them and said, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And then he goes on to, to give another little test here. Jesus addressed their doubts by proclaiming the source of his knowledge. Now they thought, the religious leaders of the day thought that he just simply taught his own thoughts. That's what they assumed. And so the question here in verse 16 is really a rhetorical question. It is not intended to be answered. Uh, look at it again. Uh, how has this man become learned having never been educated? Uh, literally the idea is you just don't even answer it. Just assume he's not learned, right? Not learned. But he answers it anyway. And begins by saying, I'm going to tell you where the source of my knowledge is. 
And when he tells them this source, it, he, he's going to unpack here uh, where the source of his teaching was and at the same time his identity. Somebody go to 536. Just go back a page to 536 and read that to us. Somebody got it? I have testimony weightier than that of John for the very work that the Father has given me to finish and which I am doing testifies that the Father has sent me. There are a lot of things that he's doing that are testifying where his authority came from. The he says here, not only did he say, my authority is the Father, but the Father sent me. He, he's saying, that's who I am. He proclaims the source of his knowledge here. Um, interesting here. Paul had all the credentials that they were looking for him to have. How was Paul taught? He studied under, under the rabbi of rabbis, Gamaliel. He had, he had a, a University of Gamaliel uh, diploma on his back wall. Ivy League. Ivy League. It was Ivy League. Yeah, you're right. So when he began to talk in Jewish circles, it was like, well, this guy knows what he's talking about because he studied under Gamaliel, right? Yet Paul taught about Jesus. Now, it took him a while to get there, right? And it took a dramatic encounter on the Damascus Road in, John 8, in Acts 8 and 9. But he's going to teach about Jesus. That's all he's going to teach about. He's going to take all his Old Testament knowledge that he got at the feet of Gamaliel, and he's going to teach it as it relates to what Jesus came to do. So they had the same authority, you could argue. But then he's also going to address their doubts by implying what I would call here the heart of truth recognition. The heart of truth recognition. In other words, if I'm teaching you and you say, um, I, I don't know if this is true or not. One of the questions you've got in your mind, I think, and I think one of the things that Jesus is addressing here in verse 17, if anyone is willing to do his will, he'll know the teaching, whether it's of God or whether I speak for myself. In my words, this test is the test of does it work? If I live out what you're teaching, does that work? And literally, can I follow Jesus and he lead me to the right place? I think it's really important here. So it implies kind of the heart of truth recognition is does this teaching work? Now, and so in verse 18, he offers what I would call a litmus test for his teaching and for the teaching of anybody else. Um, look at it just for a second here. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true. And there's no unrighteousness in him. So the idea here is um, when you hear anybody teach whose glory is being sought, the only teacher, now I'm just going to say it, the only teacher who ever had zero ego was your Savior. 
He had no ego need. Have you ever thought about that? Why did Jesus have no ego need? He lived at the right hand of the Father until right here. In heaven. For eternity. He knew it all. There just was no He didn't have anything to prove. And he knows where he will return. And he knows where he's going. In fact, he says it at one point. I, I know where I came from. I know where I'm going back to. I don't have any need to prove myself. I, I find this really intriguing that he takes them on kind of in this context. Uh, he doesn't do, he doesn't do anything that he hadn't seen the Father do or say. The Father is constantly talking in his ear through the Holy Spirit. He's doing everything the Father tells him to do. He's seen the Father. He has been with the Father. He's been one with the Father for eternity past. There's just no ego need here. Now, I don't, I don't want to make you a skeptic or a cynic here. But... Um, he only taught what he received. He only did it for God's glory, for, not for his own ego need. Recognize that this is a litmus test for any teaching. Any teaching. Who is this elevating? Okay, so that's kind of the idea. This litmus test for his teaching, for the teaching of anybody. Okay, let's go on. Uh, I want us to read the next little section. Cindy, can I come back to you and have you read verse 19 down through 24? Has not Moses given you the law? <clears throat> one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you are all amazed. Yes, because Moses gave you circumcision, although actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Okay. Now, here's the context. Got to catch this. There's a crowd gathered around him, as there always was when he showed up in Jerusalem, or just about anywhere. He is debating the religious leaders of the day who've been looking for him to come. It's a trap. He's debating them over this issue of where his authority comes from, while people like you and me are listening in. Okay? All right? There's some things that they don't know, the crowd, that he knows a lot. And there's also some things that the religious leaders know that they don't know that's going on behind the scenes. Okay, In particular, if you'll just flip back uh, your page, one page left, what's at issue here is... Um, uh, the only other miracle that we're sure of that he did in Jerusalem was the healing of the man uh, who was lame laying at the pool of Bethesda. It's talked about at the beginning of uh, chapter 5. And at the end of that, uh, by the way, there are two offenses that take place there. Jesus heals on the Sabbath. That ticks him off. And by the way, he says, I'm always working. My father is always working. 
and the fact that he said to the guy, pick up your mat and walk, which would technically be work LOL. on the Sabbath. Okay. So uh, that's kind of the issue. So if you're wondering what they're talking about, they know about that. The religious leaders have been after him uh, on that one ever since it took place. Look at 518. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. All right. Um, what, what we're going to see this in a minute. Um, if you look at verse 20, you can go ahead and fill in that blank and I'll come back. But they're not, the crowd is not aware of the leader's schemes. They didn't know, the crowd, what you and I actually know as we're reading this, that the religious leaders were plotting to kill him. And that goes all the way back to chapter 5. And we see it in the other Gospels as well, right? Okay, so um, in verse 19, he's going to say to them, he, he's debating them, and he's going to say to them that they failed to practice what they preached, which is going to make them really angry. Ellie, you got your you got your uh, electronic Bible with you in there. Go to James one twenty two. Who was James that writes the book of James? Jesus, half brother. Okay, why do I say he's his half brother? They had the same mom. They had a different father. Okay, uh, uh, James's father was who? Joseph the carpenter. Who was Jesus' father? God himself. God himself. Okay, so they're half brothers. All right, James comes late to the table as a believer. Wouldn't you love to see a videotape of that one? Because Jesus comes to him after the resurrection, and somehow James is converted. And he becomes James the just, James the righteous. He, he is head of the Jerusalem church, as you read about in Acts 15. And he writes this little book, this little letter, James. Uh, and he says, among other things, this is kind of the theme in James 1.22. He's going to remember some of these things and he's going to say, you know what? All these other teachers really don't practice what they preach. If you want to prove that you know him, then do what he tells you to do. Uh, and it's kind of what Jesus is going after here. What Moses gave, he says, they failed to practice. And he's going to do a brilliant thing here. So follow this. I have never caught it quite this way before, um, before I was doing this study this week. They're, remember, experts of the law. And you and I know, because of what we've studied the last couple of weeks, that the law for them not only meant uh, the first five books of the Bible, but also meant their tradition that sprung up a couple of hundred years uh, before this, called the Mishnah. They're experts of both. If you, if you, you know, held a big light over them, they're going to know more about the Mishnah than they know about the first five books, but they know them both really well. All right? They're going to know that in Exodus 20, the Bible says, thou shalt not kill. They're going to know that? But they're also going to know, in Exodus 20, the Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And it doesn't go really far beyond that, other than saying, uh, for, for God created uh, the world in six days, and he rested on the seventh as a pattern for you. That's basically what it's at. Uh, 
prove me wrong on that, but that's basically what it says. And they went further than that, a lot further than that, times, times a thousand different rules. And if you remember here, uh, so what Moses gave, they failed to practice. And I said to you about verse 20, they're ignorant of the leader's schemes. They didn't know, the crowd didn't know what you know. And so in verse 21, when Jesus begins to deal with all of this, okay, uh, the crowd answers, you have a demon who seeks to kill you. They don't know anything about it. So when he begins to answer them um, uh, uh, in verse 21, I did one deed and you all, and the word is marvel. And that is not a positive word. That's a negative word. You're astonished. Uh, the, the idea of this astonishment is you're shaking your head um, um, about the John 5 miracle. You were astonished saying, why did you do that? You broke two laws on the same day. And not only did you break a law by healing a guy, but you caused the guy then to break the law by carrying his mat. That's, what, that's that astonishment in verse 21. Okay. And in verse 22, they have said, okay, catch the last words in black in your Bible. Um, they have said, you've got a demon. You're demon possessed. Who is it that seeks to kill you? Remember I said they don't know anything about that. He doesn't even answer about that. He, um, uh, what I want you to put in your blank on verse 22, his answer doesn't address whether or not he was paranoid because you and I know he wasn't. They, they're saying, you're crazy, you're paranoid. He doesn't even address that. He just continues with his thoughts, and he does so brilliantly. I want you to look again at the 20th verse. The crowd answers, you have a demon who seeks to kill you. He says, I did one deed, and you all marvel. If you look back at 518, we looked at it a minute ago, um, for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. By the way, was that wrong? Nope. Claiming to be God, was that blasphemy? Not if you're God in the flesh. That's the deal. Okay, so, uh, interesting here. He doesn't address this, this paranoia claim they've got. And he, he cites the law of Leviticus 12, verse 3. Now, I'm going to have somebody go, who, somebody who's not squeamish. Rhonda, you're, you're medical. I'll let you read this. Go, go to uh, Exodus 4. There is three verses in there, Exodus 4, verse 24, 25, and 26, that if you're, if you're like me and you're just reading your Bible, you know, you come to that and you think, what was that? Because it's like out of context. Okay, he's going to refer to this parenthetically a little bit. But the uh, other thing he's going to refer to is Leviticus 12, verse 3. He's going he's to call them out on their own law. Here's what Leviticus 12, verse 3 says. Let's try to find it here. I'm in Leviticus. I just haven't got to 12 yet. Here we go. 12, 3 says, On the eighth day, the flesh of a male's foreskin shall be circumcised. On the eighth day. By the way, if you study that, it's really interesting. They were really uh, doggedly determined for it to be the eighth day. 
Remember Dr. Francis Oaks? I had a conversation with him time because, Rhonda, you were in on some circumcisions with him back in the day when he was in the operating room. Did you know that on the eighth day, your clotting factor is at its highest? So imagine doing a circumcision in the middle of the desert. You'd kind of want that, I think, wouldn't you? What was the law for? For their protection, for their good. So Moses, they're going to cite Moses. Moses kind of forgets. And he doesn't circumcise one of his boys. And Yvonne de Carlo calls him out on it. Uh, by the way, if you, if, if you know who I'm talking about, look up Yvonne de Carlo. You'll get it. Uh, Lily Munster calls him out on it. All right. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought him. You ever read that and thought, what in the world is that about? Moses did not circumcise his child as he knew he was supposed to. He got busy. Okay. So his wife does it for him. It's just, it's just an interesting story. That's about not forgetting how important circumcision is. Now, here's how important it was. And here's what Jesus calls them out on. you got to catch this. we got just a couple of minutes to finish this. He says here, verse 22, For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it's from Moses, but from the fathers. It was all the way back to Abraham, right? And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a boy. Now, wait a minute. So they figured out somewhere along the way that the more pressing law, the more important law, was let's make sure we get that boy circumcised on the eighth day. What if that day's a Saturday? Do it anyway. Jesus knew what they were doing. He calls, he says, now wait a minute. You're saving one part of a man's body. I was just in the business of saving the whole body. How brilliant is this? It, it, it's just amazing. Uh, so he kind of raises this question, what if the eighth day was the Sabbath? You're going to do it anyway. So I'm going to ask you the question, um, and you can put it in your, in your blank here in verse 23. The people had missed what the Sabbath day was actually for. Do you see what it says here? If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. What was it for? What was the Sabbath for? Rest. For good. From the very beginning, it was for that. Okay, stick with me here for a couple minutes. This week, I got an Italian traffic ticket in the mail. Okay, I'm just confessing. Got if, if, if I end up in Italian prison, will you guys come see me? Uh, five miles over, Indri says they'll give you five miles. I don't know why they... they uh, they, they wrote you up for this. I don't know what I'm going to have to do with it. 
But you know what I see on a regular basis? Does this tick you off? If a, if, if a traffic cop stops you for doing five miles over, wait a minute. Five minutes ago, I saw an ambulance screaming around me. He had to be doing 90. Why didn't you stop him? Why? Because they're on a mission of mercy, right? Uh, the law is laid aside because they're doing what they're supposed to do, and they need to do it really, really quickly, um, at, as safely as you can, right? Because they're on, what is the Sabbath for? It's to rest. What are you to be about doing? Whatever it takes to show mercy. Well, the law implied, verse 24, a moral obligation. I want you to go with me as we end today to Matthew 22. Here's where Jesus says what's important, the most important thing. Okay? There's a moral obligation here. I'm going to read verse 24 again before we go back. Don't judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Go to Matthew 22. I'm going to have somebody, if you would, read verse 36 through 39. Jesus is asked, what's the most important thing? And he's going to answer it here, and it's brilliant. He takes the best of the Old Testament and distills it into two things, and you can live by this. Regardless of what day of the week it is, you can live by this. Matthew 22, verse 36 through 39. Mark, can you read it? Teacher, which, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He's asked, what's the most important thing I need to know? Has he thought about this? Oh, you bet he has. Uh, let me fill in your blank. For all of us, success or failure is measured by our intention to glorify God. Where does the law fall short? Jesus is going to say, if you have failed to love God, if you have failed to love others, then whatever the law you're living by is going to fall short. Wayne? You're always catching me on not filling in the blank. That's all right. This, amaze, this amazement that they have is not positive. I really didn't say that, did I? It's not positive. It's, it's a, what is wrong with this guy? Amazement. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. We're going to keep driving at this. Okay. I'm learning whether you are or not. So, all right. Have a great Sunday. God bless you.